All right, please be seated. Welcome to our second uh, class in our series that we've begun on the Lenten season. Uh, This is the second class of uh, nine classes, I believe, um, about the Lenten season. This is, uh, I'm really grateful to be doing this because it's a nice opportunity for me, too, to kind of focus in on the different uh, themes that uh, are associated with each of the weeks from now until Pascha. All of these themes are set up for us by the church, as we mentioned last time. This has been done for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years by the church, where each of these Sundays has a certain theme to it. The church teaches us some of the most important and Basic, but basic in a, you know, essential, maybe that's a better word, essential themes of our faith. As we mentioned, this is a time for both catechumens, people uh, that are new to the church, to learn the basics of the faith, and for all of us to refresh ourselves <clears throat> on these wonderful themes that the church uh, presents to us as we prepare ourselves for the most uh, holy time of the year which actually gets the name Holy Week. That week before Pascha we call Holy Week. It's the most holy time of the year when the Lord is walking towards His crucifixion and resurrection. And we're invited through the services and the life of the church to walk with Him um, at that time. So this is a time of preparation for that. And right now we're in a time, these, these three Sundays are times of preparation for the preparation. The, the pre-Lent, if you will, the, before we start the full uh, deal of Lent, the full program of Lent, we learn some important themes in the church that will sustain us and are the, kind of the foundations that keep coming back again and again. In fact, even in the services, if you really study the services and the texts of the services that are laid out in the church, and there's many, um, many things that are written. I'll show you uh, over here and bring you what we're talking about. No. The chanter is meant to be open. So what we're talking about, I mentioned the word triodian. This is the triodian. So we, we call this period of, of time the Triodian, which is these first three Sundays of preparation, and then the five Sundays of Lent. All of this time is called the Triodian, because this is the book that we pull out in the church, and we begin to sing through. So this is when I talk about all the services and all the themes that are laid out. The basis for this class, really, is this book called the Triodian. Um, and as you see, it's, it's not small. <laughs> it's not uh, abbreviated. It's, uh, let's see, it's a big book. It's a very large size uh, book. And let's see how many pages it has. About 400 pages filled with text that explain these gospel themes. And so what I wanted to tell you is that these first three Sundays, the Publican and Pharisee last week, Prodigal Son, Last Judgment, the casting out of Adam, which is the one after that, all of those themes are very foundational to the whole feeling of Lent. So they're introduced in these weeks before Lent starts, 
And then as we get into Lent, if you read through the Triodion, those same themes come up again. The publican and Pharisee, the prodigal son. Prodigal son is like the like signature gospel story that describes this Lenten time. So it comes up again and again. So this Triodian book is what the chanters are using for all of the services, both on Sundays and during the week, starting last Sunday and going all the way past this week, past the following weeks, past Palm Sunday, all the way till Holy Saturday, the day before Pascha or Easter. That's where this book ends, is at, at Pascha. So this is what we're, we're using. So it's this season of repentance, this season of returning to God, which is the theme of the, the prodigal son. Um, and actually, it's interesting, in the tradition of the church, last Sunday, again, was the first Sunday we sung from this book. And we begin at Vespers for the publican and Pharisee Saturday night. Last Saturday night would be the first time this book was open. It's an ancient tradition of the church. We don't, it's not, it kind of fell out of practice at some point, but some people uh, do it, where at the beginning of the service of Vespers, at the beginning of the Triodian period, the book sits um, in front of the icon of Christ. And before the chanters begin singing the hymns for the day, they actually come, venerate the icon of Christ, and receive the book as if from the hands of the Lord himself bring it to the chant stand, open it up, and start singing the penitential hymns um, that are found in the Triodian. So this is what we call this period the Triodian, and it comes from the name of this book um, that we're all uh, uh, singing from. And you'll see in the handouts, and every time we have the class, I'll pick out some of the hymns from the Triodian so you can see the themes and how the church explains them and presents them to us for our salvation and edification. So as I mentioned, there's themes that are being presented in these three weeks that are leading up to Lent. Last week was the publican and Pharisee, and we had a wonderful class last time talking about the themes of humility and of prayer, um, and that was last week. That was um, the publican and Pharisee. We're now on the second Sunday of the Triodian, in which the church presents to us the story of the prodigal son. So you could say the main theme this week is repentance. And repentance, as we mentioned earlier, is, uh, means a return to God, a change, a change of direction, a change of heart, a change of one's bearing in life, uh, a change of disposition from a path of selfishness and sin to a path of selfless love uh, for God. Um, so this is the theme this week of the, the um, prodigal son. And the next week we'll be uh, studying and, and talking about the last judgment, which will be a wonderful theme to do. In a way, it's, in, in one perspective, you could look at the prodigal son story is all about the return of the son to the father, right? The loving kindness of God that accepts even the most... Um, desperate of sinners, the most lost, you could say, of sheep that are accepted and brought back, no matter how far they've gone, they're brought back. And then next week, in a, in a way, there's a few themes that you could pull out that we'll talk about next week, but just to look ahead to that, you kind of get another side of that, which is, at a certain point, the Lord will return, and there will be a reckoning, so to say. 
there will be a, a judgment. Things will put, be put back into their proper place. In other words, we're in a period of time now of repentance, but it's not an infinite time. And that should be a, a startling thought a little bit, that at a certain point the Lord will return. Our end will come. We will die. And so let's take advantage of the time that we have now while the gates of repentance are open, while we can amend our lives, because there does come an end to life. And that's kind of those two sides, right? Repentance is open while we live and breathe. We're here. This is what we should be focusing every moment on, is repentance and return to God, because death is a reality, and the judgment of God will come. He's merciful, but he's also just. And so we'll contemplate those themes a little more. But just to say that, you know, um, you can see that theme a little bit of, of justice and, and how people respond to God and the role of God, even in the prodigal son story. Because don't forget that there's actually two people in the prodigal son story, right? We all know the prodigal son, and that's who we want to be. But at the same time, remember, there's another person the prodigal son story besides the loving father and that's the son the other son the older son who never rebelled and never did anything wrong never left and in a way he serves as a warning for us of a lack of love for the father because you you know who i'm talking about right at the end of the story there's the son comes back and everything's happy, and they're partying, and all these things. And the older son is out working in the field, doing what he should be doing. He's doing everything right, you could say. And he hears this party and commotion. And so he comes and says, what's going on? And the father says, look, your brother has come back. And I've uh, received him safe and sound. And the brother doesn't want to go, doesn't want to rejoice that his uh, prodigal son brother has returned, which is a startling thing, right? This guy has done everything right, uh, you know, pleased his father in every way. He's still, you know, doing all the right things. And yet when he's faced with uh, the prodigal son, he does not respond like the father. He doesn't imitate his father. He's not a true son in that way. He does not imitate the father in the love for the prodigal son. In other words, he's surrounded by the love of the father and by all these things, and yet it's no good to him because he hasn't become like the father. He hasn't received, he's not able to receive the son with compassion and love. And all the love of the father, in a way, has been misused by him, wasted on him, because he doesn't. Uh, have compassion as the Father does. He doesn't imitate the Father in compassion. So you actually have, that's uh, kind of a startling thing in a lot of these, you have two themes that are linked together. Publican and Pharisee was last week, right? An example of how to pray properly with humility, an example how not to do everything right, brag about it, right? Don't do that. In this story, it's the same thing. Don't be like the older brother, but be like the prodigal son instead. So um, that's, that's an interesting theme that pops up here. And to consider for ourselves, you know, it's easy to say, I'm the prodigal son, and it's a good place to be. 
right? But then consider, because some of us have, can easily have the tendency to say, I'm doing everything right, so I'm going to be saved. I'm, I'm fine. I did all the things. It's the Pharisee mentality popping up again. Did everything right. God must love me. I'm all good. I'm all safe. Well, how do you do then when you're tested with love for somebody that's a sinner? That's the test that the older son fails. He's tested in his love for someone else who is a sinner, and he fails that test of love for someone, uh, you know, the prodigal son. So if you think you're doing everything right, test yourself and say, do I love the most uh, hated person in, in the world, right? Do I have love for them? Are there people in my life that I despise or I discount because I don't think they're as good as me, right? <laughs> Obviously, you don't want to think that. But sometimes that's, that, that can enter into our minds instead of, again, being like the publican or like the prodigal son, simply focusing on our own selves, on our own need for repentance and return to God. Okay? So that's, that's uh, one theme that comes up uh, today. Um, okay, so repentance is the theme, the main theme of today, that, that story of the prodigal son returning and repenting to God. And we mentioned this earlier, but to focus on this a little more, we see that the prodigal son is the son of the father. Just like we are the sons and children of God, he is our father and he is our creator. He has given us everything. He has given us life. He has given us a soul. He has given us all of these wonderful things that we have. Um, and he simply asks us to love him. He gives us freedom. He says, you have freedom because you're my son and I'm free. And you're my son and I want you to be free as well. Because when you're free, then you can truly love. Right? You can't... Um, Love, if there's not freedom involved. There's risk in love. Love is a dangerous thing. If you know if you're a parent, or even if you're a child of someone, which we all are, you know that parents love us, you know, make us, but a true love comes when they set you free. Many movies pick up on this theme as well. You can think of many different stories. That as soon as there's freedom, then there can be love. And this is what God's relationship with us is. And in the freedom that he gives us, he says, do you want to choose love and communion with me? Or do you want to go your own way? And when we go our own way, we end up like the prodigal son in a bad place. You could go so far to say that that bad place is becoming who we're not meant to be, becoming less than human, becoming like an animal. And eventually that path leads to becoming a vegetable. If you've seen the ant movie Up, everyone becomes like a vegetable. It's not Up, it's a Wally, I'm sorry. Wally, you know the movie Wally? At the end of the movie, they're all in the spaceship and they're just drinking their drinks as the spaceship is, tri- is crashing, right? They're all vegetables. Sometimes we're like that when we veg out on a TV, right? If you do that all the time, you become like a vegetable. Sorry to say it. Not that you're not redeemable at that moment, but you're acting like a vegetable. And if you keep going down that path, 
you go into, you could even say, you know, less than human, animal, non-existence. Because God is existence itself. So what sin does to us is makes us something that we're not. It's an infection. It's a disease that gets into us and makes us corrupted and makes us something that we're not. Takes us from sons of God and makes us into nothing. Destroys us, you could say. Binds us in slavery to sin. This is the road that the prodigal son is going down. Um, And so the father, though, we know is always there saying, come back to me. That possibility of coming back is always there. He wants us to come back, to start heading back into a place of uh, closeness to God so that he can make us again into what we're meant to be. Um, and that's a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's not an easy path, you could say that. This path that the prodigal son uh, went on. And why isn't it easy? You could ask yourself, why is it hard to repent? Why is it hard to come back to God? So maybe I'll just stop there and ask that question. What what is hard for you about that uh, repentance or coming back to God? What gets in the way for you? I don't know if there's thoughts or questions. Yeah, Jesse. Bad habits. Bad habits, yeah. That's a good one. They kind of get you used to a certain way of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Julie? Pride. You said pride? I think that's a huge one. That's a huge one. And that's something that you can learn from the prodigal son is that he didn't have pride. Pride would have kept him where the swine were, right? But he chose humility. He chose to acknowledge where he was instead of hiding from his true state, face up to, to where he was. What other things give him away? What's that? Need to control. Need to control? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, because the son's in control of his own life when he's with the pigs. <laughs> yeah. But to come back to the father means to say, I need help. I need somebody else to help me uh, run my life because I didn't do it real well on my own. Yeah, Jim. Admit you made a mistake. That's going to be hard. That can be hard. Swallow your pride. Swallow your pride. That's right. That's good. Did you have one, Cindy? Oh, um, I'm against that shame. shame. Like, I am so bad. My father's not going to take me back. Yeah. He'll be back for long. Yeah. And it, it's interesting in the story, if you, if you look at that part, because it's a, it's a key part for us. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we are like the prodigal son. You could say, well, no, I'm actually like the brother. Even if you're like the brother, you are like the prodigal son. In other words, you're not in a good place if you're like the brother. So wherever you are, you are like the prodigal son. And the church says, you are like that whether you know it or not. If you don't know it, that means you're like the brother, and that's even worse. So it's better to know that you're the prodigal son. So this interesting place to think about, right, is, is, um, is what you said. That's very good. Yes, Sebastian. It can also be like a, a doubt that after one has started living differently, 
that one might maintain that yeah. in their life. The kind of doubt in, in one's own ability to... Houses. to Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a mm-hmm. imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feeling like you're a... Sure. Worthy kind of person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or feeling like you have the strength to to stay with the Father after you moved you there. Yeah. Make it hard to return. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Fear that won't be forgiven. Fear that won't be forgiven. Sure. Sure. All of these themes, everything you've mentioned so far, I believe, um, is is there in the story, if you will, especially the one that Cindy and Amy, you guys mentioned, um, about the idea of kind of the shame being afraid that we won't be forgiven. That, that comes up in the story, if you think about it. Because the son goes and does all these things. This is an important part of the story. He, he goes and um, takes all these things and lives with the swine. And, and the really key moment in the story, the turning point in the scripture, is it says, he comes to himself. Right? He comes to himself. That coming to yourself is kind of like, you know, what Jim said, is like admitting that you've done something wrong, is swallowing your pride, is being willing to accept that the way that you chose uh, led to a problem. That when you lived life on your own, it ended in a problem. Yeah, Amy. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to the idea of shame, too, right? Being okay with a little bit of shame. Yeah, I had a, I mean, just to comment on that briefly, I think that's a wonderful point, is is shame comes up here, for sure, right? Because he finds himself, and he says, I'm going to return to the Father. And that's that's him saying to himself, I feel ashamed, but I'm not going to let the shame keep me. From God. I'm going to bear a little bit of shame, or maybe a lot of shame, for what he's done. I heard a priest once say that in confession that we have in the church, that it's important in confession, what you want to go for is to bear a little shame. Maybe a little more shame for some of us, right? <laughs> to bear shame in a healthy way in the sacrament of confession, that's a healing thing, right? Something, something like this is, is, is good to have. And, and, you, and you know, going to what, what Cindy and, and Amy said earlier about like, the forgiveness of the Father, if we kind of go through the story step by step, he finds himself, he says, I've done something wrong. He owns up to it. He, he has the humility to say, I messed up. He's ashamed, and yet he walks with shame and doesn't run away. He walks with shame back to God. And what does he do? He doesn't say, I want to be a son again, right? I, 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 I uh, want all the money back again. Can I have a redo? Control Z on that, please. No, he doesn't say that. He says, please 
Just let me be a hired servant. It's an interesting thing, right? He kind of doesn't take the father for granted. He assumes that the father will forgive him, but he doesn't know how much the father truly loves him. It's an interesting thing to contemplate a little bit. Um, that, that he kind of says that. He has this script rehearsed to himself. Please just accept me as a hired servant. Just let me in the door. I don't care. I don't care. I'm willing to bear the shame of not being a son anymore. Can you imagine the shame of going back to the father's house and not being a son anymore, but being a servant? That's, that's a shame. That's a shameful thing. It's, that's a humiliating thing that he's willing to do, right? Just let me back in the door again. That's how terrible he feels. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to contemplate. And that's, and that's something that the, the church puts in our minds, in our mouths, is those words of the prodigal son. So if we stay there for a moment and think about that, those are the words, as I said, that the hymns pick up on is accept me as a hired servant. Just let me be in there. Just let me into the church. I don't want to be, you know, super <laughs> or anything. I just want to be in your presence. I want to be with you because I'm not able to do it on my own. Right? And that's kind of the condition that we have when we are truly repentant. Is not to say, I deserve everything back again. I know you're loving. Because it can be a temptation to accept God's love or to, to uh, how do you say, expect it in a we deserve it kind of way. We deserve your love. I sinned, but you're loving. It's all good. Right? You're loving. You'll forgive me. No. The church wants us not to just skip from the prodigal son to being a son again. Right? To kind of assume God's mercy in a, how do you say, presumptive kind of way. God's mercy is there, but it's not for us to take advantage of. And that's kind of where the theme for next week comes, that there is a judgment. This should kind of startle us a little bit. But it should teach us that we don't go from just being a prodigal son to then saying, okay, I'm all good. I'm all good. You're, you're good. But to say to God, there's a, there's a path of return when we've sinned or we feel ourselves in a distant place. To put those words of the prodigal in our mouth, just accept me as a hired servant. That's the words of the, of, the, of the publican last week. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's the same kind of words. Accept me as a hired servant. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In other words, we have to say what we've done wrong. And we have to acknowledge it before God. We can't just go from, I'm terrible with the pigs to let's forget about all that. I took a shower. I make myself look all good. And now you like me, God, right? I took a shower. I cleaned myself off. I look good. I got the outward appearance of good. So you're going to accept me, right? And sometimes we can be tempted towards that to skip the kind of journey, the healing journey of repentance, which is to bear that shame, to go to the Father with those words. And the Father does let him speak. The son does say, Father, and he lets him confess in a way. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. That's, again, a long reform of the publican last week. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I've, I've screwed up. I've messed up in, in any kind of way. Messed up. Please just accept me back. And so what, we're, what we have in the story is, is describing our experience of repentance. That if we are sinful, if we do wake up in a sinful place, because that's often how it is, we wake up and we realize, oh my goodness, what have I been doing? What have I been saying to my spouse? What have, how have I been treating my children? However it is, we wake up and then we say, this, this is the roadmap for us. We say what? I don't want to be where I am. This is not a good place. I've messed up. I need to go back and I'm willing to endure the shame of standing before God and saying, I messed up. And then to go to God and say, I messed up. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Accept me as a hired servant because I don't deserve anything. And then, that's, that's what the church teaches us to do, right? And then, so what I'm saying is it, it, it's, it's more of an experience of us. That when we're in that place of truly God be merciful to me, a sinner, God, when we have a crushed and broken heart, according to the Psalms, God will not despise then we can begin to experience his love, right? He's the one that dispenses the love once we've made that step going close to him. Then he responds in his part. We can't force him. We don't know when he will say that. This isn't some contrived thing that we're making up. This is a real experience that the prodigal son has that the church is giving us the opportunity for. Right? To come before God to say this. And it may be that it takes a week. It takes a whole service long. It takes all of Lent to all of a sudden feel, I've been banging on the doors of repentance. God, have mercy on me. God, I've really messed up. But when we knock with faith, then he opens in his timing and says, I love you. I forgive you. I mean, I can tell you from my experience, like I've, before, I mean, even now, what I would say, I remember when I was younger, you know, coming to the church with something on my heart or my conscience, coming to liturgy, and feeling weighed down, and, how do you say, not worthy of being in the church, let's say. Come into the church, you stand there, and you look up to God, right? And you're like, and sometimes this happens to people, when you feel crushed, broken, and helpless. God, have mercy on me, a sinner, you say. You start praying with the liturgy, and then all of a sudden, something can happen in our hearts where God comes to us and says, it's okay. The more deeply we feel the repentance, the more assured we can be that God will come to us and say, it's okay, I love you. Come receive my body and blood. You started far away, now you're close again, right? So we're talking about the idea of living genuinely from the heart. Letting our heart be vulnerable to God. Whoopsie. <laughs> oh, um, almost tripped there. So letting our heart be vulnerable to God. Letting it be pierced and crushed so that God can do his part and say, it's okay. Right? We don't, we don't come in assuming it's okay. We come in humbled and broken. And if we're not humbled and broken, maybe we need to humble ourselves and, and see our brokenness a little bit. Right? So that's, that's kind of the story of the prodigal son that's told to us. Is, 
an image of our return to God. There's a beautiful book, if you are interested in it, I have it in the PDF, it's called The Return. And it's actually the prodigal son story, but it uh, explains repentance in the church in a more broad way, in particular with confession, because this is the idea of confession as well. So maybe I'll talk about that for a minute. And if you want more details about that, as, as I said, a beautiful book called The Return, which takes this, this idea that you know, we, we um, journey like the prodigal son, right? We mess up, we get up as soon as we can, we start returning to God, right? And then we come to the church, we say physically with our mouths, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. I have no excuse for my sins. Here I am, but I know you've promised that you're loving, so have mercy on me, right? And this is a mystical thing that happens. We say these words, and our hearts begin to heal when we do this, like the prodigal son, right? And then God can speak and act. And I can tell you, as a priest, hearing, I've only been a priest a couple of years, but I've heard a few confessions. I can tell you that the confession works not because of the priest at all. It doesn't work because of the magic words. It's not effectual or the experience of the person isn't dependent on how much the priest is praying or the person says their confession properly. No. The confessions that are the most powerful are the people that come the most broken and vulnerable and ready to bear the shame and come with tears before the Lord. That's the people that are healed. That's all I can say to you, right? Is then to encourage you to follow this path of repentance that Lent opens up to us. Because that's the whole you know, idea. The church sets this in front of us, the prodigal son story. right? We have a couple weeks to ruminate on it, and then we begin Lent. We start fasting, we discipline our bodies. We start giving more of our time and talent and treasure. We come to church more often. Um, and uh, let's see, time, talent, uh, let's see, prayer, fasting, yeah, and almsgiving. We do all of these things, and they begin to humble us and work on us, and our souls begin to open. We prepare for confession, we go to confession during Lent, all these things. The more we enter into it with humility and an open heart and honesty, God can do his work uh, to mend our hearts. Okay, so those are, those are some of the main themes there. Are there questions or, or comments uh, about any of this? Yeah, Sebastian. So, is there a utility in perhaps accepting forgiveness from the Father, but not necessarily forgiving yourself? That is to say, keeping one's sin at the forefront of one, one's mind to kind of cement that repentance and make sure you never relapse into those tendencies mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Yeah, so you're talking about the idea of focusing on one's sin and we're using... forgetting it and not... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Glossing over it. Yeah. Yeah, as a way to not sin again. And last week I asked how can we grow mm -hmm. in humility? Mm -hmm. And it seems like by being very conscious, 
conscious of our own shortcomings and the times in our lives where we have gravely sinned. Mm -hmm. That can help you kind of understand where you are relative to mm -hmm. where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a balance with it as with everything. Um, like for instance, so the idea of like recalling our sins to ourselves. The church recommends that as a tool when we're preparing to pray. When we're, when we're getting ready to pray to God, it can be helpful to think about the sins that we've committed, right? To bring us a little bit of contrition, remorse in our hearts. Um, and, you know, it's also good to remember our sins, especially when we find ourselves falling into pride. Or sometimes, I don't know, sometimes you find like you're just coasting along in life, which can be a dangerous place because you become uh, forgetful of the times when you failed and God was merciful. So it can be helpful to remind ourselves or remind ourselves of, you know, our tendencies or weaknesses. But I would, I would definitely balance that with the idea that, you know, when we're coming to prayer, you know, to, to remember our sins at the beginning. But then if you just stay thinking about your sins, how are you going to see God's love and forgiveness if we're only thinking about our, ourselves? Right? There's a certain shift that happens where we stop thinking about ourselves and focus on the love and mercy of God. In other words, it can be the case that sin can become our identity. We identify ourselves. I am, I am proud. I am an angry person. Right? I am a jealous person. Right? You have to be careful of that. I'm not saying you're, you're saying this, and I think, I think you're on a good, a good track, but just to remind ourselves, like, if we, if we focus too much on our sins, we can start saying, I am this, I am that sin, I am that sin, right? And there's a priest I know that say, that's a heresy, the heresy of I am. No, the idea of prayer and spiritual life is, yes, to see your sins and to find them and and to use them to come to repentance, right? And, and change of heart and mind. But then to go towards, I am loved by God. I am a beloved child of God. I am forgiven by God, right? I am washed. St. Paul says, you are washed. You are sanctified. You are cleansed, right? Those are the things that we should be led towards. Um, not to somehow stay in the thought of our sins. Um, sometimes it's better to say, yes, I am sinful, and even not to think of the specific ways. I'm just away from God without the grace of God, right? Without me, uh, uh, you know, realizing it, I tend to go away from God, and I end up in all kinds of trouble. What the trouble is doesn't matter, but the heart is always the same. I didn't love God. If I loved God, I wouldn't sin. So I don't know if that answers your question well or, or, or accurately, but I would say it can be helpful to think of our sins, but we also have to be careful not to think about them too much. Uh, because then sometimes some people can struggle with, uh, I don't know if I'm forgiven for that sin. Right? Am I forgiven for that? So you don't want to think about past sins too much. More, it's better, I think, to, in, in my experience, to think about in general, I've strayed in many ways. Whatever those ways were, God has forgiven me, but I'm weak on my own. So. 
want to be useful to be watchful of my tendency to sin so that I can turn away from that. Mm -hmm. I know it's there. Mm -hmm. I know it's very easy for me to go that way. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and yet coming to know yourself is knowing where your weak areas are and learning how to, to avoid them. Yeah? Yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts or questions so far about King Sophia? This all kind of reminds me of something that uh, St. Teresa of Avila wrote. One of the things that she wrote was in practicing humility, you should look up to God, and in doing so, by looking up to God, God will sort of put a mirror onto your own problems, and in regards to saint sinning, I think having that self-knowledge is important. Yeah. Like, some people are just so entrenched in it that that's all they do, mm -hmm. and that they don't know anything else. Mm -hmm. But if someone has, like, that one little slight moment of hesitation or pause or something similar like that, and that's a chance for them to go, wait a minute, should I be really doing this? And I think having that self-knowledge is important in both helping yourself not to sin, but also to practice humility. If you know what your faults are, then you can at least try to know how to deal with them better. Yeah. Yeah, there's a quote in the church that repentance is not so much to look back at what we've done, but to look up towards Christ. Right? We acknowledge what we've done, we feel the effect of our sin, and then we look up to Christ. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, let's see, how are we doing on time here? We started a little late, so maybe we have a few more minutes. Uh, I just wanted to go over a couple of the, the readings of the church uh, presents to us. It's interesting, the, the epistle reading that um, is, that was read this morning is actually the epistle reading that we're on for our Bible study this week. So we'll dive into it more. It's coincidental how that worked out. Um, but just, we'll, we'll dive in thoroughly because it's a wonderful passage. It both talks about, um, uh, uh, let's see, um, well, I mean, I guess you can sum it up in this way, because it talks a lot about the different... St. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are useful. I will not be enslaved by anything, right? And then he goes on to list all the ways that we're enslaved by the bodily passions, whether that's gluttony or lust or whatever it is. Uh, these things are enslaving towards us, uh, that bind us, bind our souls. Uh, which is a very serious thing. And you could say that, in a way, I, I, I contemplate, like, why did the church give this to us? And my uh, suggestion is that the epistle reading is presented to us as an example of where the prodigal son ended up in his life, right? He went from the father, and he went and chose with his freedom to go enjoy life, and he ended up being bound and enslaved by passions, right? And so I, I wonder if that's maybe why. It kind of describes the prodigal son uh, story a little bit um, of, of who, who he was in that, in that sorry state. Um, 
rather than, as St. Paul said, glorifying God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Using the body and the soul for the glory of God, rather than wasting it in the world. Uh, Okay, and then we have obviously the gospel story of uh, the prodigal son, which is a long story that uh, describes what we've talked about, the, the younger son and then the older son at the end. (laughs) <laughs> the ultimate joy and love of the father that's always there to accept uh, the prodigal son back. Um, and then in the hymns, there's some beautiful themes that are picked up um, in the church. Um, let's see. One of them, let's see, let's just go to the third one for the sake of time. It says, having scattered the riches of the father's gift, I, the wretched one, grazed with the irrational beasts. And desiring their food, I was hungry, but I did not have enough. It's an interesting way to look at, what again, what sin does to us. It makes us irrational. It makes us crazy. It makes us wild, like the beasts, right? Whatever that's anger or whatever that is, you go from a place of rationality to irrationality. From a place where your mind and your heart are in control to a place where your anger is in control or your desires are in control, right? Um, there's there's uh, a lot to be said about that, but that's the image that the church gives us, that he really becomes like an animal. He becomes irrational. He does things that don't make sense. A man living in a pigsty doesn't make sense, right? This is what the passions have done to him, yeah. Kind of an addiction, too. Of addiction, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Never having enough. That's right. That's what it says here, right? He never had his fill of that. And he he went to it thinking it would fill him, but it doesn't. Yeah. That's good. Uh, That's a good connection. Thank you. And then it says, and again, this is where the church puts it into our mouths. But I shall return to the compassionate father. I know he's compassionate. I don't know how compassionate. (laughs) And I will cry with tears, receive me as one of the hired servants, as I fall down before thy love for a man that saved me. This is what I was talking about earlier. The church focuses us on those words, that here I am, I'm irrational, I can't get enough of my passions. They've afflicted me and tormented me and all these things. I've lost my mind, so I'm going to go back and say, have mercy on me, uh, a sinner. So that's, that's one of the hymns that we uh, sung last night. At uh, Vespers. Um, again, the theme is picked up in the next uh, hymn. Foolishly I sprang away from thy fatherly love and dispersed in wicked deeds the riches that you gave me. With the prodigal I, I cry, I've sinned against you, O compassionate Father. Receive me in repentance. Make, again, that, that idea, receive me as uh, a, a hired servant. And then it says, let us hearken to the scriptures concerning the prodigal who returned to his right mind. Again, that idea of being in the passions, being subjected to the anger and the pleasures that entice us, is we lose our mind. We lose our mind. And that, that's, a, that's a theme that's throughout the church, really. And just to introduce that, if you haven't heard it, it's, it's a, a helpful thing to contemplate. The church teaches us that our soul is actually tripartite. There's three parts to the human soul. 
And uh, the two, there's two lower parts and a higher part, which is called the intellect or the noose. The two lower parts are the anger part and the desire part. And those two we share with the animals. Right? They don't have a higher way of thinking and intellect. They simply have desires and anger. It's not in a sinful way, but those two uh, characteristics are in our souls as well. The anger and the desiring. Right? Those are the lower parts of the soul. The higher part is the intellect. The noose is called. The part that differentiates us from the animals. That enables us to commune with God. And when that is in a good place with God, the two lower parts of the soul, the animal-like parts, desiring and anger, are also in harmony. They're used for good, right? To be angry against sin, to desire God, rather than be angry at our brother and desire the things of the world. So this whole idea of a digression from a human person to an animal is the idea that the intellect has fallen, that the, that the soul has fallen into animal behavior, that we've lost that connection with God, and the lower parts of the soul are running unchecked in us. Um, so that's an interesting thing to contemplate in, in our hearts, that we have to regain that connection with God and put the other parts of the soul back in their proper place. Um, there's a lot that can be said and contemplated about that, but that's something that's being picked up here about the irrationality, the, the craziness uh, that sin uh, does to us. Um, okay, let's see. Almost, uh, almost done here. The last two, uh, hymn five, I just want to say, thy fatherly embrace open wide to me quickly. It's a beautiful way of saying that. Uh, For I, like the prodigal, have wasted my whole life O Savior, have regard for the unfeeling wealth of thy compassions. And notice the church says this to each one of us. Right? Some of us have been Orthodox for 20 years. We've been repenting, you could say, for 20 years. Some people, this may be their first time, and they feel like the prodigal in a very real way. But all of us are told, I have wasted my life. So it's, it's kind of what Sebastian was hinting at, that we look back at our life and we say, it's nothing. It's nothingness. Even if we have been repenting for 20 years, that feeling of we're empty by ourselves. By ourselves, we're, we're nothing. We have nothing but evil in our hearts by ourselves. right? But then we return to God and he fills us with his grace. So this applies to all of us. We're all like, we're all like this. And this hymn, that, that hymn, Thy Fatherly Embrace, is actually, just as a, a fun little note, is used in the service of monastic tonsuring. So when someone becomes a monastic, enters the ranks of people that are um, dedicating their life to repentance, their whole life in a monastery, this is the hymn that's one of the main hymns that's chanted of Thy Fatherly Embrace open to me because I've wasted my life. Um, and again, and we talked about this last time, you have to, this is the balance between uh, the despair over our sins and the hope in God's mercy. So we say these things not with despair, but looking towards God's mercy. And that's the whole idea. I've wasted my life, but open your embrace because I trust that you are loving and compassionate. Um, okay. And then just the, one little thing on the last one. 
Um, this is one of the last hymns in the, in the services for the prodigal son. I've departed from you. Do not abandon me. The enemy has stripped me naked and taken away my wealth. I have scattered abroad the gifts of my soul from prodigal living. Therefore, I shall arise and return to you. Make me as one of the hired servants. O thou who didst for my sake spread out thine immaculate hands upon the cross. So it's interesting when the church puts in little hints of where we're going, which is the cross and the resurrection, right? And again, that image of the Father, the Father's embrace is being opened wide. And what happens when you look at Christ on the cross? What's his embrace? What's his position? His arms open wide. You see the connection, right? The Father's embrace is open wide. Christ on the cross says, it's okay. I have borne your shame. Because it says in the hymn, I'm naked, I'm ashamed, right? That's how we feel. And then we look at the one whose embrace is wide open, and look, he's naked and ashamed, just like us. And he invites us to come to himself. He bears, he himself bore our sins. More than that, he bore our shame. He went into the effects of our sin, right? If you look in a cosmic way, sin causing death and all these things, right? God enters the world, enters the shame, and receives the spitting and the buffeting and being stripped naked, enters the pigsty, you could say. You go so far as to say and says, here I am, let me lead you back. And that's where we're going with all of this, is that repentance is, means nothing without the cross. And that's where we're heading, towards the cross and the resurrection, being made new. So the cross is leading to the resurrection, which again, that's, if you will, being clothed again in the garments of light and sunship through the resurrection. That's where we're, we're heading in this beautiful season. So just two more things to say, um, just as we, we end here. Um, the next week, just and, and going off of this again, uh, this week is our last week for meat, if, if you're keeping track or if you're uh, uh, the, the fasting calendar that the, the church provides, the last week for meat. And then the scripture readings every day this week, if you read the different ones, it's interesting. Last week and this week ends the Gospel of Mark. That's where we're reading from. We're finishing up our series of reading the gospel throughout the year with the end of the gospel of Mark. So the readings that come to us now are all the ones of Christ leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. That, so we hear the entry into the temple this week, him berating the Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And then we hear of his arrest and crucifixion at the end of this week. So again, as we're preparing and as we're thinking of ourselves in the light of the prodigal son story, we don't forget that the cross and the resurrection is where we're heading towards. That's our, that's our goal, is to prepare ourselves to be with Christ on the cross and to enjoy the glory of his resurrection. So I'll end there. Thank you all for, for coming. I hope it was a benefit to you and edifying as we uh, think about these themes. Next week will be the uh, Sunday of the Last Judgment, so we'll think about those themes, and then we'll go from there with all the different... Uh, things that are presented. So may God bless you all today, and uh, we will see you uh, at Bible study if you're able to come, if not uh, next week.